last week in starting with the announcement of Jesus' birth. I think we uh, see sort of the theme uh, in that text is Jesus as Messiah. And then this morning, as we turn our attention to Luke chapter 2, uh, we see Jesus held out as uh, Savior. Luke seems to particularly emphasize that in this text. Uh, next week, we'll jump back into Luke 13, but it seems incredibly fitting that this morning uh, we read about the birth of Jesus. So if you would, open your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 20 this morning, where we read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them and into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for uh, the grace that you demonstrate in drawing us together this morning. We thank you uh, for the grace that uh, draws us here and that you have looked upon us in our sinful state and sent your son uh, to suffer and to die for our sins. God, that if we simply come to you in repentance and faith and you restore us as your children, and that you adopt us as sons and daughters, and that you gift us by your Spirit. And Lord, we pray uh, this morning that uh, your grace would be evident uh, 
as we worship together, as we turn to your word together, Lord, we pray that uh, in the busyness of these days, Lord, that uh, you would give our hearts uh, peace, Lord, not just uh, in the busyness, Lord, but uh, a sense of peace in your salvation. Lord, we pray that uh, you would humble our hearts as we uh, look at your text this morning. Lord, we pray that the familiarity of this text wouldn't cause it to lose any of its luster. But Lord, we, we ask that you would prompt in us anew hearts of wonder at what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. So, uh, Luke opens uh, kind of by setting the stage for what exactly would prompt Joseph from Nazareth uh, to head to Bethlehem. And he, he uh, explains that uh, Caesar Augustus, uh, Octavius, uh, issued a decree that uh, there should be a census of the Roman Empire. And probably uh, for taxes, there's some things that are kind of peculiar about this sentence, census, but probably they relate to the fact that Judea has been prone to revolt. And uh, Luke kind of fixes the date, uh, fixes the date for us here in a general range when Quirinius was uh, governor of Syria, right? not the proconsul, but like a military leader uh, in Syria, and. Uh, Everyone in uh, Judea has to return to their own town to register for the census. And I think before we get uh, too far into this text, I was, I was reminded uh, this week of, of something uh, I think probably Luke intends for us to see here. And that is, uh, you know, when, uh, when this time of year rolls around, uh, I tend to think, uh, you know, peace on earth uh, seems to be a, a thing that frequently comes to my mind. And then each year, it, it kind of seems like peace on earth isn't all that evident. Uh, and especially now with you know, war and uh, rumors of war and uh, the political chaos that's already starting for a coming election year and uh, with all of the the tumult in our world today, I think it was... It was good for me to be reminded, and it's probably good for you to be reminded that here, uh, you know, we have Octavius, Caesar Augustus, a man uh, who has been essentially deified by the Senate. They give him this title that he, he is Lord of all, and at this point, he is really uh, the Lord of the, the known world. Uh, he uh, ushers in an incredible period of peace. His domain is seemingly absolute, and yet, like Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus before him, you know, there's a there's a person on earth that everybody thinks like this man more than any other man seems to be divine, and yet the Lord uses him uh, to accomplish his own ends. And I think what uh, we see in the setup here is. Caesar Augustus, everybody on earth thinking Caesar is Lord, is ultimately a tool in the hand of the true Lord and God to move Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I think we, we see in this text is 
that the Lord was tying together what seemed to be loose ends in history uh, into a cord that ultimately brought about the exact circumstances that were prophesied for the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and I say that uh, now, especially when there's so much chaos in the world today, because again, it, it sort of seems like if you look at the news, there are a lot of loose ends in history and really no discernible pattern. And yet, I think we have to be people who are absolutely confident that the Lord is tying all of those loose ends together into the cord that will ultimately bring about the return of Jesus Christ. And that uh, whether or not uh, we see peace in the newspaper, the student of Scripture knows that absolutely in Jesus Christ there will be a final and eternal peace. And yet, I guess that's sort of a bonus. If we go back to the text, uh, Caesar sets the stage, and then Joseph does as directed. He heads from Nazareth uh, back to the village of Bethlehem, the ancestral home of David. And and Luke here uh, mentions David twice, I think, to emphasize the fact uh, that Jesus does have a legitimate claim to the Davidic throne through his adopted father, Joseph. Uh, Joseph goes back to Bethlehem, the birthplace of David, and he brings along with him uh, Mary, his betrothed. They're not yet married in uh, a final sense, but uh, Joseph, in, I think, in love for Mary uh, and with his desire to protect her, uh, takes him with her than, rather than leaving her alone in Nazareth, which would have been an incredibly arduous journey, at 70 miles probably from about from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and uh, she's doing it nine months pregnant. Uh, but she goes with him, and they get there and find the conditions in Bethlehem to not be all that conducive to a comfortable childbirth. Uh, there is no room for them in any place of accommodation. The word we're translating in here uh, could mean an inn like we would think of an inn, but it could also be implying that they weren't even able to find a place with uh, an extended relative, like that no one had any guest space or any accommodation, which as the story goes seems to be very clear because they end up in a manger, uh, in a place for animals, uh, probably attached to a house, uh, possibly, uh, by church tradition, is a cave near a place of public accommodation, but certainly not a place intended for humans to stay. And uh, it is there that the Lord and Savior of all is born. And I think probably of all the things I could point out to you from this text, uh, verses 6 and 7 really, I think, are, uh, it should be shocking to us that Jesus is, is born uh, you know, surrounded by draft animals, certainly not, uh, not in the place that any woman would want to give birth, certainly not a comfortable place, certainly 
not a place that smells great. Uh, Certainly, there is nothing about this place that would scream to you uh, divine or regal or even nice. And what's happening here, and if you think about it, is the Lord of all, Jesus Christ, Son of God, who has spent all of eternity in perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit in the throne room of heaven. Since the moment that he created angels, there have been myriads of angels around him attending to any desire that he has. He has been surrounded by a heavenly chorus where absolutely every being around him that he created immediately recognizes who he is and glorifies him for all that he is. He has never wanted for anything. He has been perfectly content in loving harmony with the Father and the Spirit. Right? Like, imagine that for the sake of love, in that state, you decided, I am going to take on flesh. In one moment, you're in that state. In the very next moment, uh, you're incarnate. You're in the womb. And the first moment that you're out of the womb, you open your eyes and you're where Jesus is. Right? That for all eternity, he's been in the throne room of heaven and he opens his eyes and he is utterly dependent on beings that he created for his continued existence. He needs them to swaddle him. He needs them to feed him. He needs them to change him. Right? Like, imagine the transition from the glory of heaven to the manger. What on earth could compel that? I mean, we get mad if somebody cuts us in line, right? Like, you get irritated if you think somebody steals a parking spot that was yours, right? Like, we are, everything about our experience tells us that we are people who insist on getting what we think we deserve. And in this moment, we are seeing God being remarkably unlike us in almost every way imaginable. He deserved everything that he had in heaven. He's always deserved everything that he had in heaven. And he very willingly gave that up for the sake of people who had only ever sinned against him. Like he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but for love gave that up for the sake of sinners. That the miracle of Christmas is that God would willingly undergo such incredible humiliation on behalf of people who had only ever humiliated him. That this is a miracle in and of itself. That the incarnation is a miracle, but that God was willing to be incarnate is a miracle of a different order. And as all this is playing out, there are shepherds in a field nearby. And 
I, uh, I don't know about you, but like when I think about this, uh, I, I like peaceful, quiet night, very silent nighty, I guess, if that's an adjective, silent night-ish. I don't know how to say this, right? That, uh, you know, they're, every nativity set I've ever seen, like the, the shepherds are like nice looking people, uh, right? Like they're, they're good guys. Uh, but I think Luke would expect us to understand these shepherds weren't uh, nice people. In fact, shepherds generally were thought to be terrible people, right? Like uh, you have tax collectors, shepherds, uh, and other collected professions that are thought of as being very ill repute. Shepherds are not understood by any Jewish person to be reliable. There are people that disappear for a long time. Uh, nobody knows what they're up to. They filter back into town. But while they've been out, you know somebody that was robbed in the countryside, and everybody assumes that the shepherd does it. The Talmud and the Mishnah are full of uh, descriptions of shepherds being unreliable, untrustworthy people. They were never ritually clean. Jews wouldn't allow them to be legal witnesses in court because they were thought of as so unreliable, right? Like, these are people that are not respected by society, and they're out in a field nearby. Nobody probably really wants them in town, but they're actually doing their job. They're not uh, doing anything other than watching over their flock. Uh, and as they're uh, out, uh, an angel appears and announces to them everything that's happened. And like most people who encounter an angel in Scripture, these people aren't encouraged. They're not uh, filled with uh, uh, a soothing sort of awe, but an absolute dread of what they see. They are terrified at the appearance of this angel, and the angel immediately comforts them, tells them, don't worry, uh, I am bringing you the best news that you can imagine. And, and think for a second, if you're, you're an, an angel, right, the, the great joy that will be for all people. The, the messenger here is announcing to them a grace that is not available to the angels. But this news is for all people, that God some unimaginable reason is sending to you all a Savior, that this Messiah will be the Lord. That this angel announces to them exactly what has happened and further demonstrates God's grace in saying, you can affirm everything that I'm telling you, that just over there, there is a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths exactly where you would never expect to find a baby, and that will be the proof that what I am telling you is true. And if further proof is needed, here is a legion of angels, and we are all going to sing God's praise. That God is, this night, uh, making available peace with those whom he is pleased. And uh, though I alluded to earlier the fact that uh, I think of peace on earth, like amongst people, the word he uses here, the, the sort of peace uh, the angels are glorifying God for is the, the sort of peace of salvation, that with G the birth of Jesus Christ, an individual is able to have 
peace with God. And the angel, or excuse me, the uh, angels return to heaven, and the shepherds immediately decide, let's take the angel up on this invitation and go investigate uh, what exactly is happening here. They head to Bethlehem to see if what the angel has said is true, and when they make it to the manger, they find Mary and Joseph and the baby. And uh, I can appreciate uh, maybe that uh, you're here with a friend or a loved one that uh, maybe... uh, Maybe that it wasn't your choice to be here in a way this morning. Uh, and I think that if that's the case, uh, probably what we're seeing uh, in the shepherd's reaction to this uh, series of events is the course of action that I would commend to you. And that If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I think there could be any number of reasons that that's the case. Everybody has a reason for the relationship they have with Jesus or the the lack of relationship that they have with Jesus. What I would encourage you to emulate about the shepherds uh, is their desire to investigate Jesus to see who, who this baby is, to see if this story is true. Probably uh, the thing I would most highly commend to you is to read the book of John. Uh, John does an excellent job uh, laying out not just who Jesus claims to be, but also uh, what that means. And I, I would further commend to you that you read the Gospel of John with the person that brought you here if you will, I think uh, walking through John with somebody would be even more profitable. Uh, And along with that suggestion, I guess uh, I'd say one more thing. Uh, Everybody who rejects Jesus has a reason for rejecting Jesus. I think probably... uh, one of the more common reasons for uh, rejecting Jesus, unfortunately, is Christians. Uh, and uh, here today, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say two things to that. Uh, number one, uh, I think Jesus himself was incredibly clear that there will be lots of people who claim Jesus Christ who have no part of Jesus. They do not have a relationship with him. They simply say they do. And uh, to reject Jesus uh, because of the behavior of people who have no relationship with Jesus would be a tragic mistake with eternal consequences. Uh, But also, uh, I am sure that uh, more than once, uh, people who genuinely follow Christ, people who love Jesus and have a true relationship with Him, have hurt people. 
Uh, and if you've been hurt by a follower of Christ, that for that, I am truly sorry. I think it's unfortunate that one of the things that's uh, misunderstood about Christianity uh, is that uh, Christians are perfect people. Christians are absolutely not perfect people. In fact, uh, it's kind of a precondition to following Jesus to admit that you are far from a perfect person. Uh, that I think it would be uh, I think it would be a mistake always to judge Jesus uh, based on what followers of Jesus have or have not done. Uh, and my encouragement to you would be that, again, you investigate Jesus. And if you uh, reject Jesus, you reject Jesus because of Jesus. I think probably what you would find on investigating him further is uh, that there is no compelling reason to reject such an extraordinary offer of grace. That uh, Jesus Christ is joy, he is satisfaction, that he is the peace that we all long for. Don't reject Jesus without uh, reading what he has to say yourself. And yet, the, the shepherd's story doesn't end there. They go into the manger, and they tell Mary and Joseph uh, everything that had just happened to them regarding the birth of Jesus. And if you were Mary and Joseph up to this point, right, you've, they've each had an angelic vision. Probably they know Micah 5 well enough that that has something to do with why Mary accompanies Joseph to Bethlehem. Uh, but uh, about amplifying the whole situation, these shepherds who you don't know walk in and they start telling you all this has happened, right? that uh, the reaction that everyone in the room, in the cave, <laughs> reacts uh, in each in their own unique way. The, the shepherds wonder uh, at what everything means. Mary treasures these things up, uh, mulling them over in her heart. And the shepherds leave the scene glorifying and praising God. Like the, they know that everything that the angel told them is true. They maybe have some understanding that God is bringing about his offer of salvation to all people. And even they, the shepherds, the people that society would say aren't worthy of this sort of honor, have been looked upon by God uh, with grace, with a heart of mercy, that with Jesus Christ an, an age was ushered in, that there are no people uh, excluded from the kingdom of God. There, are, uh, there is a rich offer to grace to anyone who will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And uh, it, I think it's here, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that I would uh, 
encourage you to think uh, my response to this text ought ought to follow the pattern laid out here. That uh, as busy as you might be in the next few days, that, uh, that the wonder evident in this text, the, the, the wonder that is evident in this text ought to be reflected and amplified in our own hearts. Right? We don't just know about Jesus' coming, we know about what Jesus accomplished through his coming. And that that uh, should inspire us to wonder uh, how, uh, how in the wisdom of God uh, would Christ come? In what world would uh, the people who are morally responsible receive by grace uh, salvation? bought by the very God to whom they owed everything. That Jesus paid the penalty for sin and freely offers salvation to anyone who will turn from their sin and believe in Him. That the appropriate response to that is certainly wonder, but in light of this text, I'd suggest that even Mary's pondering ought to be emulated. That uh, further pondering the sort of love that would compel God, compel Jesus to step from the throne room of heaven into the manger, I think gives us a better appreciation of God's love for us. And finally, and maybe most importantly, the shepherds glorifying and praising God. I think whatever else you do in the next few days, Uh, your heart should be filled with an earnest desire to glorify and praise God for all that He has done for us in Jesus Christ, but also for all that He has revealed to us in His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and we... We pray that uh, you would help us to better understand uh, the ways in which your grace, your love, your mercy, your sovereignty are evident in the birth of Jesus Christ. And not just the birth of Christ, but in the million events leading up to the birth of Christ. Lord, we pray that Uh, as we uh, consider Christ's birth, Lord, that you would help us to have a better, truer understanding of all that Christ reveals about who you are, about your affection for your people, and about your willingness uh, to give everything for our sake. And Lord, we pray that Uh, these thoughts will inspire in us hearts more prone to worship, hearts eager to glorify you and extol your grace to others. Lord, we pray that uh, even as we sing together now, Lord, that your grace would be 
a balm to our souls, that we would be uh, comforted and inspired, Lord, to greater service and uh, deeper love. We pray all of this in Christ's precious name. Amen.